0: As you're being seated, go ahead and find your Bible, open it up, or turn it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 to begin with today, and then we will move over to Colossians chapter 1. The, the story of Christianity is an incredibly optimistic story. It's a positive story of new life. It's a story of forgiveness, love, grace, peace, purpose. It's a story of hope. The Christian story, uh, it brings meaning to our existence. It restores the fracture of creation. The Christian story is a story of Abraham and Sarah being called to leave the land where they grew up and follow God's will wherever He might lead them, and they had to battle through hopelessness and a story of infertility until eventually they gave birth to a new nation. The Christian story is the story of Moses being rescued from certain death and pulled from the Nile and then raised as a prince of Egypt and then eventually being chased as a fugitive only to return as a liberator. It's the story of a young woman by the name of Mary who grew up in a one camel dusty town known as Nazareth who was chosen by God to give birth to his very son and scorned by her own people but then later she becomes the mother of the Messiah the Son of God. It's the story of Simon Peter the outspoken fisherman who found himself following Jesus and then denied Jesus during the midst of the trial but repented while Jesus was dying And then found new life and new purpose that led him to proclaim the message of the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people were added to the church through his ministry. Christianity is the story of death being arrested and correspondingly our lives beginning. It is a story of hope, a story of love, a story of grace, but all of it, all of it, Everything that we believe hinges on one thing. Jesus giving His life on the cross and overcoming death. If you take away the cross, if you take away the resurrection, if you take that out of the Christian story, it's no longer the positive story, it's no longer the story of hope, it's no longer the story of forgiveness and grace, but it all falls down it implodes within itself. In the center of our church logo is a cross. I think we may have the logo somewhere up there. There we go. And uh, you'll see the the red cross in the center of our church logo. You may not realize The meanings, the various meanings of our logo, but you have people coming from different backgrounds with different perspectives, even different ethnicities, and we all come together just as the different pieces of the logo come together, and we ultimately all come together around the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of symbolism within that logo. And whenever you see a cross, probably a lot of you have one somewhere in your home, you may wear one on your neck. Whenever you see a cross, It is a symbol of Christianity. If you're a Christian, whenever you see the cross, you probably think of the good news. You think of the promises of Christ. You think of the resurrection. But if you lived in biblical days, the cross did not represent hope. In fact, the cross in biblical days represented the opposite of hope. The cross was a symbol of oppressive power. The Romans would place crosses outside the city walls so that everybody knew that you should not mess with Rome. It was a symbol of torture. It was a symbol of slavery. It was a symbol of death. So how did Jesus transform this symbol of death and torture into a symbol of life and hope? Around midnight, Jesus had arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane and there prayed beneath the olive branches. Somewhere around one o'clock in the morning, Jesus had been arrested and he'd been taken to the former high priest's home, a man by the name of Annas, and there he had been questioned. During the middle of the night, around two to five in the morning, the Sanhedrin court had put together a complete mock of a trial. They brought in false witnesses and they ultimately accused Jesus of all sorts of things. Probably for a period of time, Jesus was held in a dungeon or a pit beneath the temple. And then around sunrise, he was brought once again before the Sanhedrin court. And there they formally charged him with the crime of blasphemy. They did not have the power to execute, so they transferred Jesus about a half a mile to Fort Antonia, where the Roman governor by the name of Pontius Pilate presided, and there Jesus was accused of treason. Somewhere around 8 o'clock in the morning, Jesus was formally sentenced to death by crucifixion. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning when he was crucified, and for six hours he hung on the cross. And we pick up the story in Luke 23 and verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now between now and Easter, I want to talk to you about the meaning of the cross, What does the cross mean? Now, my goal is not to shock you with gore, but my goal is to help you answer a couple of questions. Primarily, how did a symbol of horrific death become a symbol of eternal life? And to answer that question, it requires that we understand a couple of things. The first thing that it requires is that we understand who it was that died on the cross for our sins. And then secondly, we need to understand what Jesus' death on the cross meant. It's the doctrine that we call in theological circles the doctrine of the atonement. So turn with me today to Colossians chapter 1. Today, I want to help you understand who it was that died on the cross for your sins. Now, there were many people in ancient times who died on the cross. In fact, it wouldn't have been uncommon if you were traveling with your family even to come across somebody who was in the midst of dying on the cross. It was done publicly because it was supposed to be a massive deterrent. You may remember the third servile war led by the famous gladiator Spartacus and the the slave rebellion. And after that ended, 6,000 rebel slaves were crucified along the Appian Way, one of the main roads leading to Rome. There were two other men that were also crucified at the same time that Jesus was crucified. Here's my point with all of this. Dying on the cross was not unique. A lot of people died on the cross. What makes Jesus' death on the cross unique is who He is, who it is that died on the cross. Now, when it comes to Jesus, there are a lot of opinions about who He is. We're turning to the book of Colossians, and there in the ancient city of Colossae, there was a group called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics embraced something called the Gnosis or the knowledge. And they believed that there was a spiritual knowledge that one could gain that other people do not have, and that Jesus brought the gnosis, our knowledge of this gnosis, to 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 earth, and that Jesus was a man who achieved the ultimate level of understanding, and that if you follow Jesus, you too can go through the various layers of gnosis and reach the spiritual nirvana, if you will. It actually has some connection points to modern day New Ageism, or even Buddhism or Hinduism. The idea of the Gnostic view of Jesus. And then there are some, I call them the non-Trinitarian groups. They have faith, they often have scriptures, but they don't believe in God the way that we do. You might include within this the Muslims or the Mormons or the Christian Scientist or the Jehovah's Witness that would view Jesus as a prophet or a son, a son, or a pathway but basically, a vehicle or a door that allows one to get to God and perhaps even become God yourself. Then there are the Christian moralists, and they look at Jesus and they see him as an example. He was a great teacher, he was a great ethicist, and he is an example of how we should all live our lives in a loving way, in a way that goes beyond ourselves. And if we just live like Jesus, then We'll, we'll follow a, a great example for our life. And then there's the secularist. The secularist would look at Jesus as just a man who lived and died. In fact, some of them even deny the fact that he existed at all, but he was just a man. Now, here's what's important for us to ask. Who do Christians say that Jesus is? Because here's what I've found. Most po- people that go to church tend to be Christians. <laughs> now, there's some Christians that don't go to church very often, but most people that go to church tend to be Christians. So we need to ask the question, well, what do Christians believe about Jesus? And more importantly than that, what does the Bible say about Jesus? So there's four passages in the New Testament that speak to the, it's called Christology. It speaks to who Jesus is, so that we can really get a greater understanding of Him. And Colossians chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20 is one of those passages that really allows you to dig deep and gain a greater understanding of who Jesus is. So look with me there in your Bibles. You got your Bibles with you? Look with me there. I'd love to have you bring your Bible every Sunday. The Bible says, The Son is the image... Of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, what that means is that He is the heir to all creation. He is the firstborn. All creation belongs to Him. For in Him, verse 16, for in Him all things were created. You ever thought about Jesus that way? In Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. Jesus didn't come into existence at Bethlehem. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Shed on the cross. Now, I I could talk about this passage for a long, long time. We could just camp out here, and I could live in this passage probably for weeks. But you probably don't want me to do that right now, okay? Uh, you want me to, you know, wrap it up at some point. So, I, I want to talk to you today about three things about Jesus that we can pull out of this passage that we just read. And the first is this. It's found in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, one of the struggles that many people have with God is that we can't see Him. We can't view Him empirically. And so because we cannot see God, we, ask, we say, well, I'm not sure what He's like, so how can I trust God? But here the Bible says that Jesus is the icon, the image. If you have an icon camera, it actually has its roots in this Greek word, the the image. He is the image of the invisible. And the scriptures say, when you see Jesus, you are seeing God. If you want to know what God is truly like, the Bible says, study Jesus. Study Jesus. Now, this is huge because God doesn't leave us guessing as to who he is. He doesn't just create us and say, well, good luck with that. Now I'm going to be an aloof, detached deity. Instead, God intervenes into our scene, reveals himself to us so that we might know him, his purposes, his ways. Not long ago, I was at a restaurant eating barbecue. I know that surprises you that... Lash Banks might be eating barbecue, but I was eating barbecue, probably taking a year or two off my life, and that particular day, the, the barbecue just was, was okay, so I started talking to the waiter and asking some questions, and I always love to ask people questions about God, and the waiter said something that I hear a lot. He, he said, well, I believe that there is something out there. I just don't know what it is. Anybody else ever heard that? I I believe there's something out there. Only a few? Anybody else ever heard that? Yeah. I I believe there's something out there. I I just don't know what it is. Well, know this. There there is something out there, and God says, I'm I'm not unknown. You, You can know me. You can have a relationship with me. I have done everything for you to know me, and the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. When you know Jesus, you know God. When you read the words of Jesus, you hear the voice of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, the God of the universe was taking on sin and dying in your place. Let that sink in for just a moment. He is the image. Of the invisible God. Hebrews says he is the radiance of God's glory. He reveals to us God. A second thing about Jesus. In verse 17, the Bible says that he holds all things together. He is the, not just the creator of all things. Not all things were also created for him. But he also holds all the universe and everything that we know together I want to just take a moment and thank God for the volunteers around here there's so many people that do so much out of their love for God to help the church continue to function the other day I was in my office and I looked out the window and I saw a volunteer out there by the street and he was just digging in the mud I thought to myself man we need to get that guy a front row parking spot right Michael you know Uh, I think he was trying to fix the sprinkler system. Right now, while we're in worship, there are volunteers that are helping teach the children. There are volunteers that are helping with the nursery. I'm so thankful for them. If if it wasn't for those volunteers, it would be a lot louder in here. It might even be smellier in here. I'm thankful for those people that volunteer. In this way, later on at the members meeting, we're going to hear from some of our volunteers who spend countless hours helping to make sure that the finances of the church are managed in a way that honors God and reflects good stewardship, and those who uh, help make sure that we have the staff functioning and those that help make sure that we have ministry teams and that people are beginning to identify their spiritual gifts so that they might serve the Lord faithfully. I'm thankful for our volunteers. How many of you in some way, some way, whether it's Life Group, Iwana, ministry team, whatever it might be, VBS, how many of you in some way volunteer around the church? Just lift your hand right where you are. Go ahead. Don't be shy. Just lift your hand. Okay, let's give these people a a round of applause. Now, that was the golf clap. Let's try it again, okay? Let's give these folks a round of applause. There you go. All right, now, I've always wanted to do this. I feel like a choir director there. Where's Paul Reed? Oh, thanks, Paul. Thought you might be asleep again like you were in the earlier service, but I'm glad, I'm glad that you're there. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Paul never sleeps. He just drinks more coffee. Anyway, when people are not willing to serve the ministries of the church fall apart. Church, the, the ministries of the church are contingent upon people who love the Lord, who are willing to serve. You are an important part of this church. When you volunteer in any capacity, it is vital to the advancement of the gospel, to the mission of the church, that as a body of believers we are serving together. Christianity was never intended just to be a spectator sport where you watch other people. You're in, it's intended for you to begin to discover who you are in Christ so that you can serve God as the person that He's created you to be. But, make sure you catch this. You're not the one who holds it all together. You're not the one who holds it all together. Pastor Lash is not the one who holds it all together. My friend Paul Reed is not the one who... Holds it all together. Jesus is the glue. Let me say that again. Jesus is the glue. He's what brings us together, He's what unites us. We come from different Uh, financial backgrounds, different homes, different perspectives. We come from different places in the world and it is Jesus and His cross that unites us and the Bible says that He is the one who holds everything in heaven and on earth together. What this means, if you remove Jesus, the universe itself implodes. It is like a cosmic game of Jenga. You take the Jesus brick out. And it all falls down upon itself. Now catch this. If the foundation of your life, if the foundation of our church... If the foundation of your marriage, if the foundation of your family, if the foundation of your parenting, if the foundation of your career is built on something else other than Jesus, it may look pretty for a while, but when the storm comes, when eternity comes, it will fail. The foundation must be built Upon the one who holds it all together. Why? Because the one who was suspended between heaven and earth is the one who holds heaven and earth together. Not just a good teacher, not just a moralist, the Son of God died for our sins. Verse 20 reminds us of a third thought He reconciles everything to Himself. He reconciles our hearts to God. As the Savior dying upon the cross, he brought salvation to the hearts of men and women. And whenever the Savior comes again as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he will restore the fraction of creation that occurred all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Have you ever asked yourself this question? When did it all get so complicated? You ever ask yourself that question? When did it all get so complicated? The kids used to be so cute when they were little. And just in my imagination, (laughs) they were so cute. And then they were born, and life got complicated. (laughs) This week, we're celebrating Bennett's sixth birthday. Can you believe that little Bennett's about to turn? Yeah, I know, Michael, six years old, yeah. Remember when we were on Bennett Watch? Yeah. Stacy went two weeks past due with Bennett, and all the ladies were saying, well, are you going to induce? Are you going to induce? When are you going to induce? And she was like, no. It's a lot easier to take care of him in here. (laughs) Once he's born, it gets complicated. I'm just going to let him write it out as long as he wants, you know. Uh, When did it all get so complicated? He used to be so romantic. Remember, ladies, when he used to sing songs to you? Used to write you poetry. Now look at him. <laughs> Lying on the couch, watching the final four, can of cheese whiz in his hand, <laughs> sprays it in his mouth, and then eats a Ritz. What happened? When did it get so complicated? Well, the story of creation drew dark. Sin slithered onto the scene, and everything that Christ had created, the shalom of creation, the beautiful balance with which He created all things became fractured and stained by sin. Everything and everyone stained by sin. And it got really, really complicated. But I am so thankful that God didn't turn His head. He didn't say, I'm going to go to a new galaxy and start everything over again. He didn't walk away from us. But the Bible says, driven by His love He sent His Son, the firstborn of creation, not just anyone. He sent the image of Himself, His own eternal Son in flesh, the One who holds it all together, the One who loved you before you were ever born. He sent Him. And we rejected Him and crucified Him. But on the cross, death was arrested. And the invitation of the cross and the empty tomb is that those of us who have rejected God might turn from our rejection and instead embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior in faith. Only Jesus, only Jesus could transform a symbol of horrific death into a symbol of eternal life. And so I finish once again by reading this passage from Colossians chapter 1. As I read, just let the words sink into your heart. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? If today needs to be the day in which you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll be here at the front. I would love to talk to you during this next song. I'll also be here after the services as well. And we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed and our hearts are open. And let me ask you this question. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Is your faith in Him as your Lord and your Savior? Do you understand that He is the image of the invisible God? who took on your sins and mine and died on the cross so that death might lose its sting, so that hope might be real. That is the message of Christianity. It's a message of transformation, a message of eternity, and it's a message that can transform the symbol of death into a symbol of life. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this dear church. I pray for your power to be upon it. I pray for your blessing to be upon us. And I pray that we might fall in love more and more with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be growing people, growing in our walk with you. And may our lives reflect you to everyone that we come in contact with. Thank you, Father, for the story of the cross. Thank you, Father, for the transformation that takes place in our hearts because of the cross. May all glory be to you. And thank you, Father, for sustaining and redeeming all things to yourself. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and sing. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship. Love you guys.